Well, this week on the Innovation Cafe, we are having a fun Star Wars chat at the Royal Ontario Museum. This is Chris Abel, and it's all about the upcoming Star Wars movie, The Last Jedi, which, like lots of other Star Wars movies, has a scene-stealing, cute, adorable critter. In this case, it's a species of pudgy little seabirds known as porgs. And so to get insights, I'm here chatting with Mark Peck, Collections Manager of Ornithology, that's the bird department, at the Royal Ontario Museum. Hi, Mark. Thanks for your time. Hi, Chris. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. I'm excited about this. Great. We're chatting just before the big explosion because the movie hasn't come out. It won't come out till Christmas. But this is the weekend that kids everywhere are going to find out about these little birds. There's an animatronic doll that's hitting store shelves this Friday. There's an augmented reality experience. Even a kid's book featuring Chewbacca called Chewie and the Porgs. So... What little information I could glean ahead to kind of get ahead of the craze. I've put together all the images that have been made available, the 3D models, the cries. I've handed them to you. What is your initial reaction of these birds? I think my initial reaction is they are very cute and adorable creatures. I think calling them a bird is a bit of a stretch. Porks have sharp little fangs, it looks like. Birds don't have teeth or fangs, for that matter. They have bills. I think the best way to describe a porg for me is somewhere in a dark Atlantic cliff, puffins met with seals, and somehow terrible things evolved from that situation. So to me, the head of a porg is more like a seal with these big, beautiful, cute eyes and a stubby face, and the rest of the body is a lot like a puffin, short, stubby wings, but still able to fly, and, and still use the wings for flying underwater at the same time. So it's really a mix of a, of a seal and a puffin. Some people may think this conversation is a little bit on the silly side, but a lot of the people who design creatures for fictional stories, especially I think of Ray Harryhausen, the famous animator who used to hang out at museums like the Natural History Museum to learn about the creatures to inspire him. I know Guillermo del Toro does the same thing. The folks at Lucasfilm have issued a statement saying that when they were coming up with these poor creatures, they were drawing heavily inspiration from a number of creatures, including what you mentioned, puffins. And so that's why I thought that would be interesting to see what you can pick up in terms of what they got right and what you kind of picked up in terms of, okay, that's a little bit of a stretch. The best way to describe this, Chris, we actually have animation students coming in two or three times a year to work with the collections and to better understand anatomy Artists and animators are incredibly talented, so they're using what they've learned from a museum skeleton or a museum skin and then letting their imagination run a little bit wild and create these fantastical creatures, which are really fun to see. So I'm going to play a little clip here of what the porgs sound like, and I wanted you to do a comparison between this and how puffins sound like, because it's very, very different. So everybody take a listen. All right, so what did you think about the call of the porgs? The call of the porg is a little more higher pitched than you would regularly get from a puffin. A puffin's a more guttural growl almost, so they don't make a lot of noise as a rule. There's not a lot of song related to a, a puffin. It's a, it's a much more quieter, guttural sound. So the porgs, somebody once again used their imagination and, and had some fun with it. Now, compare that to the Atlantic Puffin. I'm going to play a track from the Cornell Merlin ID app. You should check it out. It's a free app. Fantastic. Listen to how different 
the puffins really are. Okay, so that sounded like almost like a buzzsaw. Is that is that actually how puffins are? Or? Yeah, and, and the fun thing about puffins, if you're ever on a, a nesting island or near a nesting island, you can often hear those sounds emanating from burrows deep into the, the hillside or in cliffs and boulders and stuff. So you may not see the bird, but you'll, you'll hear that chainsaw guttural sound coming out of the burrows. And it's kind of a, kind of a scary sound at night, kind of a, a fun sound during the day. Now, one of the interesting characteristics that they've revealed about these creatures is that it's an isolated island that the characters in Star Wars find them on. They uh, build nests on these sort of craggy, rocky cliff sides. They're very curious creatures that when Rey arrives, they all come over and check her out. And they point out that they feel this is based on real behavior in the real world, where sometimes you get creatures that, I guess, don't have natural predators. People arrive. They don't show the fear that you normally would expect from animals. Then instead, they come over and they start to kind of check you out and be a little more friendly than you would imagine them to be. Right, and I think that's true with Atlantic puffins. They are fairly curious creatures. Um, in Newfoundland, for instance, there are places, and they do nest on isolated islands, on cliff faces, in burrows, on, on grassy hillsides. Atlantic puffins will often come to the mainland where people are sitting and quietly sit there and observe the people that they're with. So, there's a certain truth to that story. I don't think all cliff-nesting seabirds are going to be as curious as these are, but puffins in certain areas are. Uh, in Iceland, they're very popular as a creature as well. So, and you can sit side by side with puffins in a number of areas, and they really are spectacularly beautiful birds. And like owls and like penguins, they do grab human imagination better than most birds I can think of. I wasn't too sure what to make of the fact that the porgs don't have bills. They don't have beaks. And I wasn't too sure if that's kind of general rule amongst birds. Every bird I know has a beak. Now, the interesting thing about puffins and their beaks is during the summer, during the breeding season, puffins have these wonderful, big, bright, colorful beaks. And in the winter, they actually essentially slough off the big, colorful beak because it's very similar to your fingernails or something material and they have a much smaller, duller-colored beak. So that beak that puffins have is actually related to, to breeding success and, and to mating. So it's, it helps as a, a behavior for puffins during the breeding season. Little birds, if they don't have a natural predator, then I guess they would have a different sort of breeding strategy. Puffins, they, they would have a natural predator, would they not? Puffins have several natural predators, although when you're on isolated islands, one of the, the big advantages is oftentimes there aren't predators going to be there because a predator can't survive all year long if the food resource is only there for three or six months at a time. So puffins have predators like gulls, for instance, like foxes when available. Other birds may act as predators. Even some fish probably when they're, they're diving could be a predator, but for the most part, puffins don't really have a lot of predators they have to worry about, providing they're on an isolated, safe island. Now, the porgs, in the place of having no bill, they've got this, as you pointed out, seal-like sort of face. It gives them that downward turned mouth, makes it look like they're going to cry with the big soulful eyes, but they have whiskers, and I wondered about that because I think 
Some birds do have whiskers, right? Birds have what's known as rictal bristles. So they're not actually whiskers, they are feathers, and they are a feather structure, so completely different from hair, but chemically in a similar makeup. So some birds do, nighthawks, birds that hunt in, in dark environments sometimes have whiskers. Puffins don't. Puffins don't. Uh, do puffins fly? Uh, I haven't really seen much evidence that the porgs are big flyers. We see them sort of hover a little bit, I guess almost like chickens. I'm not quite sure if they're flightless birds yet, but do puffins fly? or? Puffins actually do fly, and actually puffins are kind of unique in that they fly not only in air, but they also fly under the water. Puffins use their wings to help their swimming, and so they are very successful flyers in, in both in two dimensions and in, in two environments, both air and in water. So how much of a, a puffin's life is spent on land as opposed to the water? I mean, do they, is it equal or...? No, no. The vast majority of a puffin's life is spent in the water. Uh, the only time they really come into land is to breed, lay their eggs, raise their young. Otherwise, they're out in the ocean hunting and fishing. Are they diving underwater, grabbing fish or...? Yep. Yeah, they will be sitting on the water like little bouncy balls and then they can dive and actually swim very rapidly using their wings and their feet and their tail uh, as a rudder. Now, here in Toronto, we don't have any puffins, unfortunately, but this is a, a bird that's a big Canadian bird. What's the relationship between puffins and Canada? Yeah, the Atlantic puffin is the one we're most familiar with. There's a huge population on the East Coast, uh, most of it around Newfoundland and the cliff faces in and around Newfoundland. But they're also found in the northern parts of Europe and in Iceland. So puffins are sort of a North Atlantic puffins are a North Atlantic species. We're ahead of the movie coming out. When it eventually does, kids are going to have lots of questions about porgs. Is this something that you've dealt with here at the museum in the past? Uh, have you had lots of questions about owls and Harry Potter or mockingjays or the uh, wind velocity of European swallow carrying a coconut? <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it becomes sort of part of the tour. Uh, we talk about Zazu from The Lion King. We talk about Mockingjays, and we talk about Hedwig from Harry Potter. It's a way to reach kids, and we love doing it. And let's face it, I'm a big fan of, of animation, and I love watching these programs, and I love looking at the birds and the relationship and how they look similar or dissimilar to the real species. Well, I guess that's a good sort of stepping point or touchstone. If the people who create these movies are being inspired by natural history, real actual specimens out there, then it gives you a bridge to be able to say, okay, well, now that you're interested in this porg bird, let me guide you towards taking a look at puffins. Yeah, I think it's a great opportunity. If we can inspire kids to get outside, get excited about any type of bird, whether it's real or imaginary, it's all positive. So bringing kids through a movie into nature, if that works, I'm all for it. I think it's great. Cool. Well, thank you very much for your time, Mark. Chris, my pleasure. Good to meet you. Hi, I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. 
I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.